Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is on Bergman Island and I'm happy to be joined by Ben Lubin who has just uh, finished booking his ticket on the Bergman Safari. Ben, how's it going? Uh, yeah, it's going great. It feels, uh, it feels nice to be kind of back on brand for like the type of stuff I normally cover. Uh, I feel like, like, you know, anyone who listened to the last two podcasts I did may, may, may not necessarily have the, the best idea of what a pretentious asshole I am. <laughs> yeah. You, 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 uh, you did a populist pivot, but, uh, now you're back for a movie that like, I'm, I probably would have watched if you had been like, Hey, watch this. It's good. But I don't think I would have like, uh, done a podcast on it let alone like watch like six additional movies in preparation for it had you not put in the request to do the podcast on it six months ago before i even knew what it was uh so uh, i I consider that a mitzvah yeah so bergman island is the newest uh film from french filmmaker mia hansen love she's done uh several other movies uh most recently um uh, 2017's things to come. Actually, she might have done another thing since then, Benner. But I—that's I, the last one. I most recent one I saw before that did Eden, one of the ones Ben recommended to me in advance of this. Bergman Island takes place on Faro. It is the island that is most known for being where famed Swedish director writer Ingmar Bergman uh, set a lot of his movies, filmed a lot of his movies, spent the most of the latter part of his life. It initially follows uh, two filmmakers played by Tim Roth, whose name is Tony, and uh, Vicky Creeps, whose name is Chris. They're, they're a couple that share a child. I don't believe they're married, though. And they are they kind of escape too far to receive, get some inspiration for their writing, explore the sites, uh, take part in some panels and socialize and uh, are looking for some inspiration. Like I said, and uh, things are, aren't quite as simple as they seem, though, as being the movie as they kind of, you know, hit their own, uh, hit their own uh, little bumps and explore different complicated parts of the relationship. And then the movie takes another turn that we'll get to later. I'm not necessarily going to do a spoiler section, Ben. I just didn't want to summarize the entire movie right now. And we'll get to some of those interesting turns that the movie takes as we follow Tony and Chris as they explore Faro. Ben, I guess the, the the first place I want to start with you on this is that, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I, I, I watched a handful of Ingmar Bergman movies in preparation for this because three months ago I hadn't seen any of them. And you and, and you once you saw the movie, because you saw once you saw Bergman Island because you had seen it more recently than me, uh, you said you don't necessarily have to watch any of his movies or appreciate it, but uh, it gives you more reference points. And I think you were pretty accurate in that because I, I think I would have definitely taken a lot from this movie had I not watched any of them, but like I still you know had a lot more I could pick up on. So, which which I think speaks really well to the quality of the movie, given how heavily it does reference the Bergman movies throughout. Uh, but I'm curious, after having watched it and kind of figured that out, that like you don't even necessarily have to be a Bergman fan to appreciate this movie. I'm wondering, the thing I was most curious about after I watched it was, I'm wondering, did you appreciate this most as a Bergman fan, as a writer, or from some other perspective? You know, truthfully... And, and again, go, going into this, I was expecting there to be a lot more Bergman in it. And and again, for context, uh, Ingmar Bergman is my literal favorite filmmaker of all time. Mm-hmm. You can talk about like a top tier or whatever, but no, he is number one. Uh, the Seventh Seal is the reason I fell in love with movies and eventually the reason I wanted to make movies. I, I really, really love Bergman. But I ended up connecting to this a lot more as a writer than as a Bergman fan. And I actually think that was to the film's benefit. Like I, this was much more of a Mia Hansen love movie than it was an Ingmar Bergman movie. And considering Mia Hansen love is one of my favorite living filmmakers, that's not a bad thing at all. And I actually think that 
for the movie to be more of kind of a straightforward like hagiography or like a stylistic homage it would have been a disservice to the to the film and the thing that i ended up connecting with a lot in the movie i mean there were a lot of things i I connected with but the thing that actually stuck with me and the thing that like made me recommend this movie to everyone i know is the way the movie explores creating in the shadow of titans like one of the things i told people is this is a movie that could very easily have been called fellini island if only federico fellini had a picturesque island in the south of italy that he happened to film all of his movies on like it was a convenient location which made kind of bergman as the particular titan to use like the most appropriate choice for the movie but you really could sub in almost any like prototypical great filmmaker who like as younger filmmakers we feel like we're working in the shadow of Mm -hmm. um and and i think one of what was so interesting about the movie was uh nia hansen love through her surrogate vicky creeps kind of exploring the creative space in between acknowledging the titans but also one forging your own path but also not being so overwhelmed by the need to measure up to them that you lose yourself and i think that i mean i'm not going to say like this is the message of the film because i don't believe the movie can be boiled down to something that trite but i think if anything, Bergman Island is a testament to creatively forging your own space. Yeah. And I, so kind of going off of that one thing, I, that kind of resonated with me, not even as someone who was a filmmaker, but just as like a, wow, that, that, that does probably put you in a weird spot when, when someone like inspires you a lot and inspires you to want to do a particular kind of work. But at the same time, I thought it was one of the more fascinating little threads of the movie was like Chris's relationship with Bergman's work. Uh, cause like they, like, they, again, even though they're talking a lot about it again, I, I want to reiterate to anyone that hasn't seen the movie. I don't think you have to have seen any of Bergman's work, uh, just to be able to take something from the way she talks about him. But, uh, the, the separate discussion we can also have is that, you know, they, there's, a, there's obviously this bit of a back and forth between like the quality of him as a man and father and husband and all that, but also just like, you know, someone that like she's inspired by, she takes a lot from his work, but she doesn't like the way it makes her feel. And uh, to like kind of be inspired by something, kind of want to take from it, but at the same time, kind of struggling with the fact that like she doesn't leave most of his movies with good feelings, I thought was like kind of really interesting to see a creative person have that kind of struggle and felt like something different from what I had seen in kind of other movies where I, I, I read one review that I think it was in time where it's just like, you know, oftentimes like watching TV shows or movies about writers struggling to write is just like not a fun hang and not really particularly all that interesting. I just thought that this movie tackled that from a very different unique perspective and i appreciated that no i i absolutely agree and again it's like i again despite the fact that i love bergman i love the fact that the movie was not so worshipful of him um that like every third line is just a testament to his like unambiguous genius because again bergman as a person was complicated and i like the fact that the movie chose to explore again, the the relationship between being brilliant creative and what are the costs to your personal life? Do you have to have those costs? Uh, again, is like is like the, the troubled, cruel male genius uh, like a real thing or is it the construction that we, again, excuse because like it, it is like a model that we see as brilliant. And I don't think the movie is dismissive of Bergman at all. Like I think partially because 
I mean, as much as we may, one, I mean, as much as we may feel more sympathetic to, to like Vicky Creeps' character, I don't think the movie is meant to kind of side with any one perspective on Bergman. It's more exploratory than it is anything else. And I think even then, it's very much portrayed as kind of an individual perspective on it. The one other thing I wanted to say is yeah. you made that joke in the beginning about like the Bergman safari. Mm-hmm. And I, I had I, so many I, jokes I wanted to make about how this, I was about, I, when I almost started out, I was about to be like, and today's episode is about Ben Lubin's dream vacation. I was going to say something like that. And I was like, no, nah, I didn't want to really quite go that far with it. And honestly, kind of the whole thing is that seemed like the most boring thing in the world. And I think the movie acknowledges that. <laughs> like, I mean, the one thing the movie does not side with is like this fetishistic, almost like trivial obsession with like every like last little detail of Bergman's life. Like as someone who admire, who like, admires his work and thinks of him as like an actual genius i don't really care where ingmar bergman shit like but 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 okay you got to concede though you probably had a tinge of jealousy when you saw them get that get in that room with like a full selection of 35 millimeter prints from bergman no, movies mean, yeah, like, but, <laughs> but no but I, I but i actually think it's kind of like in the scenes of the movie where kind of like the people in the safari are just kind of spouting off nonstop trivia I don't think we're meant to view that as like something especially like amazing or special or admirable. I think it is meant to be somewhat of a joke. Yeah. I think they're like kind of spoofing pretentious film nerds and we, it's on us to not feel too personally attacked. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I I love the fact that uh, the, like the, the presentation of Bergman's legacy was more complicated than it was like explicitly reverential yeah one of the things i really also like the most about it in the one way in which it did kind of remind me of a bergman movie which again I, i've only seen a handful of them so i don't really have much uh authority authority to really make a statement like this but the ones i did watch i was kind of I, I really as i told you i kind of liked how uh, a lot of them did like for the profound subject matter they had they managed to feel light at points and for a movie that kind of like um explores a marriage that has some probably subtle fissures and uh, or not a marriage or a relationship that like, you know, um, has some issues that are, are there, but like not really like confronted head on in a way like they might be from like, they, like they were in scenes from a marriage. I do think it, you know, finds a lot of like lighter moments, like while it's dealing with some heavy stuff. And I, I appreciated that, but specifically when you said how it doesn't really take a side, I mean, one of the areas in which we see them kind of disagreeing is when Chris and Tony are talking about Bergman and Chris obviously is just more bothered by what she's learned about him and uh, the, the, the responses she's gotten from these people kind of to some extent trying to like, you know, excuse his uh, track record as a father and stuff like that. Tony just kind of like shrugs it off and uh, that seems to maybe bother her a little bit, but not so much that they're going to like have a big blow up fight. And I kind of like that it doesn't necessarily have some kind of like blow up fight where like she tries to like, you know, put him in his place necessarily because one, it feels like a more lived in relationship because they don't feel the need to do that. They clearly uh, get each other and just don't need to like have it out quite in that manner. They know where they're coming from and they just kind of let it be. But two, it's like, yeah, we could see that maybe Tony's not as sympathetic as he could be to her at some times. And when she's dealing with all of her writer's block and all that, but it, it doesn't portray him as like a, as like a complete monster to like, try and convey some point about like who's right and who's wrong for why this relationship is kind of maybe hit some kind of logical endpoint. And I, I think that's more interesting than just like having him be like a, like a pretentious dick because he's really successful and she's not quite there. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Like we've spent a good amount of time already talking about Bergman, but Mm -hmm. on that note, I actually think it's important to talk a little bit about Mia Hansen love. Mm -hmm. Cause again, this is much more of a Mia Hansen love film than is a Bergman film. And one of the things that is so special about her work, is this very sincere dedication she has to mapping out the complexities of people. 
in a very exploratory and I would say non-judgmental way. And um, also kind of doing it in a semi-autobiographical way. Uh, yeah. I mean, on that note, like, look, I, I'm, I don't care about like kind of gossip and stuff like that, but I am sincerely very curious how her, her former partner and also acclaimed filmmaker Olivier Asayah feels about this. Movie. And father of her child. Yeah. <laughs> um, who also happens to be one of my favorite filmmakers, but. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's like, that's the one thing where it's like, I I am, I would kind of be very curious to be in the same room as him the first time he saw the movie. But yeah, no, there's, there's absolutely a lot of uh, semi-autobiographical stuff in her work, but she's not someone who is like just putting her personal life there for like, for shock value. It's like, she is very, I think, interested in exploring, again, people through a very humanistic lens you so you yeah eden and uh things to come are kind of the two you brought up and i I do say those are probably my two favorites from her um both are movies that i think map out so much of their characters inner lives without necessarily being about bringing them to a conclusion Mm -hmm. um and i think that bergman island is also a movie that is more about mapping out its characters than it is explicitly drawing conclusions about them. Like we see the dynamics of a relationship. We don't see that relationship come to a big messy crescendo Mm -hmm. because we don't need that because me, handsome love is not interested in that. Um, Is it possible that again, years after this movie, these characters split apart and we see uh, like a more definitive ending than the movie gives us. Sure. But that's not really the movie that me Hanson love is interested in, in making. That's not the part of those characters lives that she's interested in sharing with us. It's just not important to not only the story she's trying to tell, but the type of story she's trying to tell. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's, it, it's, it, the, you know, that relationship serves as a pretty good vehicle for her getting us to the, to the, to the next part of the movie she wants to tell and kind of putting you in the headspace that Chris is in and why she might be, like how she might have come to make the kind of story that we learned that she's working on, I would say. Yeah. No, it's actually really funny. The filmmaker who I would kind of compare, like the, the working filmmaker who I would kind of compare her most to kind of as a similar humanistic approach is a Norwegian filmmaker named Joachim Trier, who I also really love and whose most recent movie, uh, The Worst Person in the World, I just saw. Highly recommend checking it out when it comes out. Um, oh, that's a subtle but, flex right there. <laughs> no comment. Um, <laughs> privilege. But, the, but like, what is so interesting about that, what I kind of find so funny about that, the star of every, just about every single one, uh, well, almost every single one of the Oakland movies, his kind of like go-to actor is Anders Danielson Lee, hmm. who was one of the lead actors of Bergman Island. So I just found it really funny that, again, it's like, the lead actor of kind of this filmmaker who I kind of very frequently compare to her was kind of one of the leads in this movie. Gotcha. Yeah. I haven't seen a lot of uh, his work, so I didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't place him right away. I didn't, yeah. whereas the, the, the other one, three are more recognizable. The one that I would really recommend and one of my favorite movies, the last 20 years, like easily is Oslo August 31st. Mm. Again, just incredibly brilliant, wide-ranging uh exploration of a particular character's honestly entire being that kind of uses uh, a very troubled character in a very compressed period of time to explore a lot of kind of much larger philosophical ideas in a way that never feels heavy-handed it, it is just heartbreakingly empathetic 
I, again, I'll not going to go in a whole rave about Joachim Trier. He's great, but there's a reason why when I heard that Anders Danielson Lee was going to be in this movie, I got very excited. Hmm. Um, but yeah, actually all four of like the, the, the core four actors, uh, I happen to like a lot. Um, I mean, Vicky Creeps obviously uh, was the star of Phantom Thread, which I mean, I absolutely love it. And one of the like most immediate kind of, for me, star breakthrough performances of the last very long period of time. Tim Roth, obviously fantastic actor who has done a lot of like underrated work in smaller films, even if he threw away all of that credibility by acting in the FIFA movie. Um, well, it's also nice for Vicky Creeps to get some kind of like, you know, to wash the taste of old out of our mouths. I don't know if you even saw old, but it's I it, did not. N- not great. I, I get wanting to say you were in an M. Night Shyamalan movie, but like good for her to have this come out pretty soon after. <laughs> Look, I love Vicky Creeps. I love Gail Garcia Bernal. Did not feel especially inclined to watch it. <laughs> but yeah, and Mia Wasikowska, who I have actually been beating the drum for for a very long time. I think that she is one of the best and most underrated actors, actresses working today. And again, when she is given room by talented filmmakers. And so again, it's like Vicky Creeps, Tim Roth, Mia Wasikowska, Anders Danielson, Lee. I mean, on the cast alone, I was in uh, the fact that it was one of my favorite living filmmakers making a movie in the foot, like as sort of a tribute to my favorite filmmaker ever. You know, it's, it's like you're, there's you're, a reason why I was like telling you about this movie so far before it came out. Yeah. You know, one of the I, I want to ask. So I want to ask more about the. We mean we we just mentioned all the actors and yeah. um and the the two that come in later on. I want to ask you about that corner of the movie because in some ways yes. it really feels like we we didn't talk about it much yet. It feels like the movie just kind of takes off. And it, I mean, not that I didn't like what was coming before, but it's really cool how that movie that it just jumps into something else so seamlessly and that has a a really really different kind of energy, but doesn't you know doesn't feel like it's not of peace with the rest of the movie and. Uh, you know, the one thing I've seen when I was kind of trying to read up on it and get some, see some different opinions on it, it's like, it, it seems like everyone copied and pasted the same, like, you know, subhead line about this, like, you know, you know, ex, ex, like, um, where they were like, you know, ex, ex, exploring the boundaries of life and art or something like that, or like, yeah. or creative people and where, where life ends and art begins, like they all had some kind of line about that in all of these things. And I was curious, like, you know, was that your first thought when you like see this movie taking off in this other direction? What were you, what, what was your initial reaction? It's like, oh, wow, I'm really impressed she's doing this because of what? Like, what was your reaction when you saw her going there? Because I was like, oh, wow, this is like really ambitious. But like, I really I really like I really like that she like found a way to make this kind of left turn. I mean, I was specifically excited about this direction because it was me and love first of all because again so much of her work is so semi-autobiographical that seeing her actually uh explore her own filmmaking style kind of so explicitly with her, her own work it it felt again it felt more of a filmmaker honestly diving inside of their own creative process than it would be if just kind of a random filmmaker made a movie about like a, a film within a film about filmmaking, like just because it was her and because this is territory that felt so appropriate for her. Mm-hmm. I, it, it was exciting to me that she, she was trying to push this as far as she could. I will also say the movie that kind of came to mind kind of when we kind of first saw the, the film within a film come together. And it's funny because this is a movie I hate <laughs> was nocturnal animals. <laughs> 
Um, that, that it's, it's not a totally uh, dissimilar structure. That's yeah. interesting. Uh, which is a movie I legitimately loathe for like a lot of reasons. Um, but, this is the the Tom Ford, uh, yes, Amy Adams, Jake Gyllenhaal but, movie that came. It should out. be clear. I think we are in agreement. Not an undeserving Oscar nomination for Michael Shannon. Oh, absolutely. Again, <laughs> I, I so the joke I made when that movie came out: Michael Shannon is a refugee from a better movie. <laughs> Legitimate, like, yeah, no. Um, quick, quick aside with that: the one scene in that movie that I just unambiguously love is there's a, a scene in that movie where like he's like trying basically interrogating and intimidating a henchman played by noted terrible actor carl glusman <laughs> the really funny thing about that scene to me carl glusman is not a very good actor mm-hmm. and you can kind of see in that moment it's not that his character is terrified of michael shannon's character it is that carl glusman is terrified of michael shannon <laughs> it is the funniest fucking thing you like you will ever see and it 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 deserves to be in a better movie just that moment. so so did your mind go to nocturnal animals because you're like oh this is what like a filmmaker that like knows what they're doing with this device like and it deploys it correctly this is how they should be doing it in part like i mean truthfully it it is it starts out somewhat similar in terms of kind of the purpose the film within a film serves because again nocturnal animals is spoilers for a five-year-old movie that you honestly shouldn't see anyways <laughs> the the film within a film which is basically the story that the main character's ex-husband has written amy adams reads a book amy adams reads a book uh is basically in some ways meant to taunt her and leave her affected as some basically punishment for the inconclusive way their relationship ended so there's something about using this story as a way to on some level emotionally affect or get revenge on uh, a partner and there is something superficially similar in in early on uh with in the film within a film of in bergman island yeah where we kind of see vicky creeps's character almost using this story she's telling of this film she wants to make to lay bare uh, the problematic dynamics of her relationship with Tim Roth's character and to on some level basically leave him affected by confronting him with both kind of the the, the difficult dynamics of the relationship, but also basically on some level to punish him for on some the, the way that she has kind of been treated so far on this trip or within, within the movie so far. And that also happens after she's had the afternoon with the film student where she just like yeah. bitched him on the safari to go do that. And then she like, w- when she gets back, like we're almost conditioned to think in like movies like this, that that character is just going to lie. And like, she just straight up tells the tooth- truth and he comes across yeah. as unbothered almost, uh, which like, it's almost like this and, is and like, she might, have, she might have to go to this length to actually get him to like feel something in a way. That's the thing. And that's, what's kind of interesting about the relationship up until this point. It's not that he is cruel. Like, like you mentioned before, this is not scenes from a marriage where we kind of see uh, kind of these subtle cruelties explode in kind of Strindbergian melodrama. It isn't that. It, it is basically that he is on some level dismissive of her existence and doesn't quite acknowledge, in, in kind of refusing to acknowledge the fullness of her, he doesn't really see her. And I think early on in the film, we see this kind of construction of the film within a film as her forcing him to see her and attempting to kind of 
confront him with something he can't ignore, which funny enough, he continues to ignore. But I think over the course of the film, the film within a film starts to become more of its own beast. It starts to become something divergent from, again, her story. It starts to kind of take on a life of its own, which is, you know, that's a lot of the time how the creative process works. You start with an idea of what something is, or maybe a a version of what you want something to be. But if you're actually honest with it, if you let it go the places it needs to go, it ends up becoming something totally different from what you expected. It ends up being something that surprises you. It takes on a life of its own. I mean, like just kind of an example I've given, there's a script I wrote that I really love that, you know, originally it started out as a Western with a very specific kind of philosophical idea that I wanted to explore. Um, I didn't think about kind of any other stories, any other kind of like ideological through lines. It was just, there's this one thing I want to explore. And over the course of a very long, strange period writing that particular script, I ended up just kind of trusting it to go to the place it needed to go. And then when I went back to read it after I was done, there were entire thematic through lines that were consistent and present and well mapped out that I wasn't even thinking about when I, I, as I was writing, it's just, they were there. And in trusting the story to go where it needs to go, you trust it to become something that takes on the life of its own and surprises you. So how much of that story do you think is also like on top of like, however, consciously or subconsciously she's, you know, trying to, uh, you know, bait Tim Roth to, you know, uh, gets or get some kind of reaction out of him. How much of it do you also think is just like a reflection of like her not she hasn't because she hasn't put pen to paper yet at that point. Basically, the, yeah. the movie goes to great lengths to show how she's struggling. Um, whether that be just like regular writer's block, the the however wh- whatever level she's affected by literally writing from the same spots that Ingmar Bergman himself wrote. Yeah. Uh, she struggled with that to that point, but at the same time, like it's clear she's probably like also you know whether it be from this relationship or just like typical, like, you know, midlife crisis type of stuff. Like she, she, she's going through a bit of her own, like trying to figure out like, I don't know, like who she is and questioning herself and her career where she's at at that point. So she is like struggling for any number of reasons to like kind of put a pen to paper, but also has this relationship that is like put her in this place where she probably isn't the same person she once was. And the story that she's like writing is like somewhat autobiographical and is like about some version of herself that she probably like, misses to some extent or like wants to kind of access that kind of like creative freedom that she, maybe she had at that point in her life. So I kind of also saw it as like a, wow, like, you know, at some point, like when you're, could it be like when you're pushed to like one point in your life, she is when we meet her at the beginning of the movie, that could also like push you to kind of like explore some other part of you that is like really not all that present anymore. And I, I don't know, cause I'm not really a writer, but I kind of thought like, Oh, that's an interesting idea. I don't know if like you necessarily appreciate it on that level, but like her kind of imagining this different version of herself, maybe that's something she's like, you said, she was just naturally drawn to that because of like where she was at that point in her, in, where Chris was at that point in her life, as opposed to like where Amy is. Oh yeah. Or where I, Amy I, was. That's, um, I guess that sounds kind of similar to like where you're saying you just kind of followed where it took you, but like, because of where she was in life, maybe that's the point in her life that she was especially drawn towards someone that could be that free and has that has that kind of prospect of love as as kind of like star crossed as Amy and Joe are. Yeah, and I think part what one thing that is interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, w- one particular thing that is interesting is we are not necessarily 
given a clear idea and it's very intentionally left ambiguous exactly how much of the story is autobiographical. Mm-hmm. I mean, of, of a film within a film, I mean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and again, that's part of like the, the taunting to get a reaction, but like we don't, we're never really given a clear idea of where the line is. And I think that's very intentional. And I mean, as the film goes on, the lines between, uh, again, the frame narrative and the film within a film start to get muddier and muddier. But yeah, I do think on some level, there is the the situation that she is in is, is pushing her towards introspection. It is pushing her towards finding some piece of herself. And I think part of what is, again, what I mentioned about the relationship is she feels almost lost in, or rather uh, Chris feels almost lost in, in Tony's kind of presence and established reputation. Um, I mean, this whole trip, it was his idea, his, his specific love of Bergman. She, he is there, or he is the speaker. And she, despite being kind of a filmmaker of her own is basically there as his guest. And, you know, it's interesting. And again, I don't want to like, probe too much into like Neanderthal's and Love's personal life but that is kind of one of the particular moments that felt very sadly autobiographical because Alira S.A.A. again I consider both of them to be two of my favorite living filmmakers but Olivia S.A.A. is older he's more established he has a much longer reputation as kind of one of the premier like art house filmmakers and so I can only imagine that despite developing an incredibly impressive career of her own, just in terms of reputation, Meehan's in Love might have felt a little stifled being in his shadow and that being kind of a very easy place to lose yourself in despite being an absolutely brilliant filmmaker of your own. And that is something I do think we see a lot in, in the relationship between Chris and Tony. And that's why, again, the idea of her not only negotiating, finding herself in Tony's shadow, but also finding herself in the legacy of the quote unquote greats of the past. That's why it's interesting. And it's why I think she is pushed, like she is pushed to a place where she is exploring her own place in life, both in terms of just being a person in the world and creatively. So I, I, I do think that there is something about the particular position she's in that has kind of forced her towards introspection. Okay. I mean, I, I'm sure there's plenty of other things you want to touch on, but I, one thing I w- want to ask you about, so I don't forget it yeah. is, uh, I know you're, uh, I, I've discussed it with you before, and I know you're very fond of the dance sequence in 35 Shots of Rum. What did yes. you, did you have a lot of feelings about the winner takes it all sequence here? Cause like, I thought that was a pretty interesting scene. There's like a lot going on there. I mean, I will always support a, uh, a great dance sequence where a character <laughs> basically reveals parts of themselves that, yeah. uh, cannot be put into words. Flashback to High Life uh, podcast. Yes, the dance sequence from 35 Shots of Rum is the greatest scene in any movie ever. Fight me, motherfuckers. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I thought I thought it was a it, it was a pretty fantastic sequence. Yeah, I mean, again, I loved it. I, I wouldn't say that it, it is the one that I kind of come back to over and over again. The moment that I actually, I mean, again, I loved a lot of the movie, but the, the moment that I think is like frozen in my mind that I'm kind of still thinking of over a month and a half after watching the movie is that moment where basically Chris effectively near towards the end of the movie takes over Amy's physical position and almost wakes up within the world of the movie itself. Mm. And we start to see kind of everything blend together. The, the frame narrative, the film within a film, the construction of the film and kind of this having, you know, the act, her actually having 
made the movie if that with, is what yeah with people played by with with, with anders danielson lee and mia waskowska as actors yeah and, and the guy than, and, the, and the guy that plays the college student like appears in both timelines basically yeah. but i think might be in that part of it too yeah yeah that is the moment i mean there, there are a lot of moments in the movie that i think are beautiful and special but that's the moment of magic for me and, and, and wh- wh- why did why did why did that moment speak to you because of the lack of resolution uh because basically because it solidifying that this is a movie that is not interested in drawing clear lines either in terms of the point of things a message uh a specific list of who these characters are a specific list of kind of what we've been watching a specific like a boundary for the line between story and life uh, a boundary around the creative process. It, it is the moment where everything just kind of fades together. And there is something beautiful about that sequence. And the fact that in ending her movie, Mia Waska, like Mia Hansen Love is content to let things fade together and fade away. And yeah, and um, it doesn't feel particularly compelled to like tie it up in a nice bow for a no. moment. And I certainly did not feel dissatisfied by her not doing that. The, the lack of resolution is almost the point. Mm. And I think just kind of that part, again, partially because of the way it's shot and kind of this almost kind of aesthetic that I think that funny enough is one of the movies that feels most like an aesthetic callback to Bergman um, just because of the, the lighting and the way it's shot, especially. But it, I was, it, yeah, well, I was going to ask, I was going to ask you actually next about the editing anyway, um, which I mean, I know it's separate from necessarily the way it's shot, but like, yeah, that, that's a moment that like, I'm sure in to some extent is set up by how the movie has been edited to that point. Yeah. And I, not that I, I'm, I'm definitely not the best person to like kind of speak to all the different ways in which, you know, editing can affect a movie, but I feel like I understand it enough to know, like with less than, with, with uh, less than adequate editing, I think like a movie like this could like be incomprehensible and it doesn't feel that way. No. Um, I mean, again, it's, it's intentionally muddy in that, like it, there are moments in, in kind of the, the film and the film within a film that bleed together a little bit. But that muddiness is very much intentional. And I think that an, clear enough lines are drawn Yeah. Um, in terms of transitioning from one moment to the next, that like, even if we're never entirely certain, like where, where we are, we're not lost. And again, it's hard to kind of have that, again, dreamlike style and dreamlike structure while still kind of keeping things clear enough for the audience that they kind of know, know where they are. That's, that is incredibly difficult. And I think the movie did it very well. Um, and this is, it, it's funny because like Mia Hansen Love's style is very subdued. Uh, she is not what most people would consider a bold stylist. And I think one of the very sad things about the way we evaluate directing specifically is that filmmakers whose styles are quiet are generally seen as not particularly impressive filmmakers. Like it's kind of, it, when people talk about who is going to get nominated for best director at the Oscars. It's almost a joke at this point. People assume it, it is not the best directors. It is the most directors, directors who start, whose craft is big and bold and ostentatious and in your face enough that it is again, inarguable that, Oh, this is directing. But I would say the most important thing to do as a director isn't to kind of contain the madness it is to make the it, it is to make the right choices mm-hmm. and in a film like this and in all of her films 
Mia Hansen Love makes the right choices. They may not always be the biggest choices or the flashiest choices. But if you look at all of the things that she is, all of the choices she is making as a director, they are the right choices for that moment. Um, I think that things, things to come is, for me, I will, again, one of the things I'll fight people on is 2016 is one of the best years for movies we've had in a very long time, uh, nocturnal animals aside. But that things to come is honestly one of the best directed movies from that year. If you, it's her style is almost imperceptible. You, you don't think of, oh, these are all choices she is making. Yeah, she just she makes it feel very natural. I, I, I yeah. have not, I mean, I don't have the photographic memory you have, so, I, but I did see the, things like to come. But I, I remember the, that much though. There, there's one particular choice where kind of Isabel Hapair and kind of the, the young, the younger man, mm-hmm. her ex student, are walking together on their on the commune. That I think is one of the most perfect shots. I've seen in a very long time. And again, it's not something that's in your face. It's not something that's ostentatious. And you're not going to find moments in Bergman Island that are in your face or ostentatious. Just things that if you take a step back, just you realize how quietly brilliant they are. The, The very subtle homages to Bergman that are just there enough to, to be recognizable, but never kind of hammered like never never like hammered home so much that like you feel oh this is the point of the moment it's bergman she's doing bergman it's, it's um, also funny that like eden eden's like a movie about raves and i still think it's not inconsistent with what you're talking about in a way oh absolutely yeah. no again eden is probably my favorite of hers and it, it is like it, it's in probably my top 10 for 2014 the 2010s for sure oh okay. um <laughs> But I, I love that movie a lot. And again, it is beautiful. And the way she captures the, like, again, the lights and the rave culture, it, it, it's brilliant and beautiful, but it feels more dreamlike than it does, I would say, in your face. Um, and look, as someone who does go to his fair share of raves, uh, I think there is a particular there was a particular choice in that movie to kind of depict again the those events the way she did. Um, I mean, you can contrast that with another movie about kind of electronic music culture and warehouse parties and raves and uh, all these sleepless nights, which is a, a movie I love a lot and has a much, I would say, similarly dreamlike but much more visceral uh, depiction of the of. of kind of raves and electronic music culture. I think that, again, Mia Hansen Love is so intentional in the way she depicts any given scene that it is very easy to kind of feel like she's disappearing as a director when I don't think she is. And again, it, she's the type of filmmaker who, when you look at everything she has done and you look at her filmography in hindsight, you realize how impressive she is. I mean, in the same category as Again, just to talk about another, like a great humanist, Eric Romer, um, who is someone I would say is a pretty easy comparison for her. But yeah, no, I. Uh, sorry, we talked. We, we started out talking about the editing. I mean, I, 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 I mean, if you didn't have any other points to add on that, I was just going to say, like, I mean, I, I just, I, I thought it worked well. Like, I mean, I could have easily yeah. seen myself getting lost in a movie like this, and I didn't. And I just wanted to shout out the editing because of that. I think, I think, from what I understand, I think that editor is a regular collaborator of hers too. Yeah, from what I, from what I remember, I think she does work with a lot of the same people. 
Yeah, that guy. Yeah, that that, that guy did Eden and Things to Come. So yeah, yep. and, 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 and also personal shopping. Yeah, that's funny. Look, I'm I'm sure that like she and Asaya have some level right. of like. Right. And Claude Enough Sills Marion, yeah. Rule. So yeah, they, they yeah. share this. They they, they yeah. share this editor, Marion Monier. Uh, but yeah, yeah, did each of their last two two of the each of their last movies. Yeah. So, but yeah, it, um, was there is there anything I didn't touch on yet that you want to get to? Because I I didn't really have anything else I necessarily wanted to ask you. And I think I I got off I got I got most of my thoughts off my chest. Was there any 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 other corners of the movies we haven't explored yet that you want to talk about? Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, one thing I did. You know, it's it's a story that I feel like I do want to share on this podcast, just because, like, look, we've talked, we have th- this is not a movie about Bergman, really, but I do want to talk a little bit about him, just because, again, there there may be a lot of people listening to this podcast who, like you, had not seen a Bergman movie, mm-hmm. um, and I really do want to take a moment to talk about him, just because, again, to me, he is the greatest filmmaker ever. And I think he's someone who he's, he's one of the filmmakers who can change your life. Um, well, I, mean, I do think it's interesting that you have this reverence for him, but you also appreciated uh, Doug the way they did talk about him and all of his uh, for better and worse at the earlier in the movie. Fanboy, like fandom culture is the worst thing in the world. Um, <laughs> and being so obsessively rever- like obsessively reverential about a thing that you can't actually see it. Again, I, I love Bergman. I will, I will defend him. I would probably argue against Chris on a lot of points, but I would never fault someone for making those points. Probably wouldn't fight her on him being a shitty father, though. That, that, that was pretty true. But no. So Bergman, to me, I, I said before, uh, The Seventh Seal is the movie that made me fall in love with movies. And I've, I've talked about it a good amount on here. I'm, I, I'm a filmmaker. I'm a writer. I'm a director. And until I saw The Seventh Seal, not only did I not want to make movies i thought of movies as kind of like a lesser art form really uh yeah uh how I, old were you when you saw it first year of college wow okay yeah. so you, you didn't go to college thinking you necessarily wanted to do this stuff i explicitly uh did not want to that's interesting i, went, I just assumed yeah. you've been even more into that like at a younger age more no i uh i mean so look i grew up in la yeah and i grew up around a lot of film industry people and first of all, that did not give me a very good impression of <laughs> the film industry or Hollywood or filmmaking as a whole. Right. And I explicitly like did not want anything. I was like, oh, I'm never going to be one of those people. And I did always want to write. That is something I wanted. Um, but I grew up, look, both of my parents, incredibly literate, uh, put an incredible value on reading. So I grew up reading a lot. Um, I still read a lot, but I originally thought I want to write prose. I want to be a novelist. That is what I want to do with my life. And I also, I was a theater kid. I loved acting, but specifically loved acting on stage. Right. And so going into college, kind of what I assumed is, okay, I am going to be a novelist and a uh, a theatrical actor. That's easy enough. that, That is who I'm going to be. Very easy yeah. pass, practical ways to make a living. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, I mean, I also kind of decided going to college, I didn't want to major in what I wanted to do, especially if what I wanted to do was creative because I would rather do that on the side and kind of try to become well-rounded by right. diving into as many other things as possible. That's what um, people, journalism, people, journalists to do. That didn't stop me from majoring in journalism and then actually sure. not becoming a journalist. <laughs> there we go. But no, I mean, I whole tangent, but I am a big believer in... Uh, 
studying and learning as many things outside of what your kind of primary discipline or primary passion or primary career is, it will only serve you well. And then the seven, um, and then the seven seal changed everything for you. Yeah. And, but so, but I also kind of just because of how I grew up and because I had this incredible value on, I placed this incredible value on literature and, and novels and, and, and just the written word. And I thought of films as basically uh, superficial. Look, I, I, I'm just about to out myself as the biggest asshole in the world, but I thought, I kind of thought of them as like a superficial bourgeois, like plastic art. I didn't think film filmmaking as a whole was capable of anything really artistic as a, a like in the ways I saw it. Honestly, you're making 28 year old Ben sound a lot cooler than 18 year old Ben. <laughs> um, that's accurate, but <laughs> yeah, no, look, you wouldn't have liked me when I was 18. Cause I don't like me when I was 18. <laughs> um, but also when I was in college, I didn't really have a good idea of who I was. And I th- that's pretty common. I think for most, freshman in college um and kind of what i decided is i am going to find myself by adopting a persona i am going to be just the art guy because you know i feel like because i don't really know who i am i'm just gonna i'm i'm gonna adopt a persona and that's kind of how i'm going to find myself find myself through this persona again i was 18 and i said okay so i'm going to start listening to exclusively um, highbrow music. I'm going to nothing but the, the snootiest possible. Um, I know what's what's the first one I should watch. You know, I, I there's like that famous picture I saw floating around of like death playing chess with a knight on on a beach. <laughs> it was like spoofed in all these places. That's probably the one to start with. I'm going to watch the Seventh Seal. And I kind of went into the movie. I expected to have this very kind of clinical intellectual response to it. Mm-hmm. And. I went through the entire movie with my jaw just dropped because I did not realize that a film or almost any work of art could be that spellbinding, that introspective, that imaginative, and that like for illustrative of something really deep and true about human experience. And also it was the one thing that I should note, like I thought Seventeen was actually also funny in parts, which I think is. uh, is So Bergman as a comedian is sort of underrated. Like it's, it actually kind of bugs me a lot when people talk about him as, oh, he is nothing but grim. There is no life or humor in his movies. No, The Smiles of a Summer Night is legitimately one of the greatest comedies ever made. That was just my biggest takeaway from watching like Seven Seals. Like, wow, this yeah. is freaking profound, but like he's actually funny too. No, and again, the thing about Bergman, and this is one thing that it's it's frustrating a lot. The thing that is special about Bergman is not that he explores nothing but like bleak negative emotions. It is that he explores every emotion. And again, some, col- some color crayons in the crayon box may be used a little more, but there is no color that is left out. And that is something that like, I aspire to and that I think more people who want to be creative should aspire to. I am not saying be nothing but bleak. I am not saying be nothing but bright. But the best and richest and honestly most eternal works of art have some of everything the the funniest comedies the comedies that stay with us have a little bit of bleakness have a little bit of grief have a a little bit of darkness the the dramas the tragedies the movies that shatter us and stay with us the most 
the only reason they're able to have that effect on us is because the colors of happiness are in the movie too. Because if we don't see what we are falling from, we don't feel the fall. And the fact that Bergman in one film captured so much and captured so much that I didn't know. And I felt like there was so much richness of the world and of human experience on ways that I, as a fucking 18 year old had no context for at the time. It was a movie that opened my eyes in a very real way, not only the potential of film, not only the potential of art, but to what it is to just be a person in the world. And that very real, very visceral impact of that film is something that stayed with me. And it made me want to start watching more movies, not for some like clinical, superficial, like intellectual response, but because there was something that actually really affected me in that film. And I wanted to see where else I could find it. And honestly, over the next, within the next like, six months I had realized, Oh wow, this is not only something I love. This is something I want to do. And it's interesting that like you, uh, it was, that was your entry point into like kind of falling in love with film and that like, yeah. and not even just cause I just made that uh, observation about how I thought he was funny, but it's like something like that can be your entryway into being the kind of person that would also like be excited enough to request doing the podcast on Bill and Ted's ex, uh, Bill and Ted's bogus yep. or, or Bill and Ted face the music or whatever. And like liking those kind of movies, it just, uh, it's funny that it that does up. homage. In uh, which, which, no, which, no, so, which one? So bogus journey and face the music, but oh. basically the death in that movie. Oh, is right. Very. It, it's, it's an explicit. Yeah. Duh, 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 yeah. Duh. I should have, yeah. I should have picked that up right away. But no, um, again, it's when I, once I fell in love with movies, it did start to give me more of an appreciation for some movies I'd seen earlier that I didn't necessarily see everything in the first time. And it's like, cause you know, I don't rewatch movies very often. Mm-hmm. I do make an exception for movies that it, I felt like it's been so long or I wasn't in the right place to kind of get the most out of the first time. Well, so let me ask you then on uh, the, with regards to your, the, the feelings you just expressed towards Bergman and Seventh Seal specifically, but also yeah. uh, tying that back into Bergman Island, like you, you, let's just say like it had been like, because you hold him in such high regard and or her, hold his work in such high regard and it means so much to you. If this had just been like, I don't, I don't, I don't even know, just like some other like regular middle of the road director, filmmaker that was tackling this. Would you have been like, oh, this sounds bad. I don't trust them with this. But it was like, oh, I, I, I trust Mia Hansen love with this because. Absolutely. But, but if it had just been uh, middle of the road European director X, like, what are they going to uh, they're going to fuck with my guy here? Like, what are they doing? Like, is that what your reaction might have been otherwise? Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. Um, if no, if this was not me, Hanson Love, not only would I not be interested, I would explicitly not have seen the movie. Uh, like, I mean, I mean, like if it had been a, a, a Saya, um, or like there oh, no, a couple I mean, others, like, yeah, I, it, just because it was someone on that level, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, like if um, Michel Haza, whatever the, the dude who did the artist and who also did Godard Monomo, if <laughs> if if he was making Bergman Island, I would not have seen. <laughs> okay, I got you. Um, but like no ambiguity about that, I would not have watched the movie. I mean, because an example is someone else who means a lot to me is David Bowie. And, you know, there was that like terrible David Bowie biopic that came out. Like, I don't know if it was like earlier this year or last year or whenever with, with Johnny Flynn. Who, who I think you like, right? Oh, I love Johnny Flynn. Yeah. But I explicitly said, it's like, 
I don't care that this is David Bowie, that this is someone I love. Why would I watch the movie? Why would I feel compelled to watch this? <laughs> like it's, it's going to feel that much worse and that much more painful because I love Bowie so much and because the execution is probably not going to be something fulfilling to me. And it's not going to be, a, it, it didn't feel like it was going to be a meaningful or fulfilling either exploration of his legacy or response to him. I mean, not that, and, not, 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 not that you've put much stock in Rotten Tomatoes, but like, yeah, 35 on Metacritic and a 20 on Rotten Tomatoes. That thing had Mark Maron in it too. And I was like, oh man, maybe I'll see that. It sounds interesting that Mark Maron's in a movie like that. I mean, I didn't realize, I, I, I just thought it came and went because it just didn't get a lot of attention. I didn't realize it was actually bad. Yeah, no. Uh, again, it's like, I, 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 again, I am absolutely not someone who trusts Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, 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 I know. A, I know. a depressing number of Claire Denis movies are under 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. But, but yeah, I, uh, what specifically attracted me to Bergman Island was the fact that there was a filmmaker I trusted, who I trusted to not only you know, make a great film, but also maintain herself in the face of making a film about one of the Titans who I admired. Mm. It, th- that I felt like Mia Hansen Love was someone who could not, who wouldn't lose herself. Right. Uh, that That is why I wanted to see the film. Um, I mean, also add on the incredible cast. Yeah, I mean, I I would not have just watched any movie about Ingmar Bergman. Um, I am not that desperate for new Bergman content that I would just chase any little shred of him. Uh, I mean, something we talked about before recording is despite Ingmar Bergman being my favorite filmmaker, there are still a lot of his movies that I haven't seen. And I don't like to do binges on a filmmaker. I like to leave more treasures to be discovered later in life. Like, I don't want to get to the point where there are no more Berkman movies for me to see. I actually kind of dread getting to that point. And so I like the fact that there are more to see and that I'm not going to just go chasing down every single one of his movies and watch all of them in a very long, crowded weekend. Mm-hmm. I want to spread them out. I would rather savor a Bergman movie or any movie, but particularly a Bergman movie. Also, just... For, for the record, one funny thing is as much as I love The Seventh Seal and as much as it is the movie that literally changed my life, at this point, it's not even in my top five favorite Bergman movies. Hmm. Yeah. I, I So wait, you just to make sure, you saw that one? I saw uh, Seventh Seal, Wild Seeds Strawberries, Marriage, and... Marriage, Summer with Monica, Persona. Right, okay. Yeah, Wild Strawberries is uh, not only my favorite Bergman movie, it is my favorite movie of all time. Which says a lot because like I can't even bring myself to call one movie my favorite of all time. It's 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 like too hard for me to decide. So that that you that you've and I'm sure and you've seen more movies than me, I'm sure. So the fact that you can even like say that about one thing just must show how much you care about that movie. It's funny because for the longest time it's like I said, Oh, you know, I don't have a favorite movie. I have my top tier of movies and all of them, you know, on any given day could I could call my favorite. But, you know, then I thought about the fact that, you know, I say that, but every single time for the last like five years that someone has asked me what my favorite movie is, without hesitation, I always say Wild Strawberries and then add on the, oh, but, you know, there are all these other movies too. And, you know, maybe it means something that it's probably the same movie every time. Right. And I actually started to think about it and I started to think about what it means to me and how important it was for me and how much it stayed with me in a lot of different ways. And it's like, yeah, no, this... this is my favorite again not to say that there aren't a lot of other movies that i love nearly as much and actually 
another Burton movie, Cries and Whispers, is very, very, it's like an incredibly close second. That's but, the one they end up watching in Bergman Island, correct? Yeah. yeah. Which is admittedly one of the bleaker ones. But, <laughs> but yeah. I don't, but like Ingmar Bergman is someone whose work means a lot to me. And I think the one thing I do want to leave anyone who is listening to this with about him mm-hmm. is one, something that Josh mentioned earlier, that he is, again, he is funnier than you think he is. He is more than just this like dour, oppressive, overly self-serious, like, dry Scandinavian there is a richness to his work and a life to his work and that is what makes all of his films what they are um you don't watch a Bergman movie for self-serious drama you watch a Bergman movie to feel in touch with something just incredibly human as hard or beautiful or wise or life-affirming as that is um, that is why you watch an Ingmar Bergman film um, to to learn things and to feel things about the human experience and just about the the universe and everything that and, you may not know or feel at that moment. And even if uh, um, you know, even if Bergman Island itself is not like you know just like trying to like you know play a bunch of the same kind of notes that Bergman itself would, I think you can like say you get some of that same stuff that you just described from it and yeah and 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 that's probably the best way to describe how you know how mia hansen love ultimately pays homage so i think that's a good thought to leave us with um mia hansen love is a less surreal filmmaker she is a less existential filmmaker she is i would say a quieter filmmaker but i think they have similar approaches to exploring the complexity and the richness of life the human experience in the world and that is something you absolutely find in Bergman Island. well said uh ben before we get out of here do you have anything else you want to plug you already kind of uh plugged uh was it worst person in the world earlier worst person in the world, yeah. anything else you want to direct people towards that you uh, you've watched recently yeah there is one movie in particular just because i know like no one is going to watch it otherwise just because it literally played in like one week and left theaters immediately there's a kind of famous cult movie called Haosu. And, you know, every, everyone knows that it's like, oh, it's the crazy Japanese ghost movie with all the surreal, campy special effects. That director made other movies. And he actually passed away uh, from cancer two years ago. And the last movie he made on his deathbed was a movie called Labyrinth of Cinema. And I, I saw it, the literal, the last screening in LA and I don't know how long it's been since a movie has affected me in as deeply and visceral a way it's it is very hard to explain it is bizarre and out there it's campy it's wild it's almost intentionally amateurish at times but it is painting this incredibly vivid portrait of basically okay the the best way i can describe this movie is it is half movie half last will and testament um this is a person who knows that they are about to die uh who wants to leave one final piece of themselves to the world and he is and this director is pouring every single piece of him authentically onto the screen there is not a moment not a single choice that feels like anything other than what he wanted to be in that moment 
And I don't know how long it's been since a movie made me honestly weep as hard. And there are things about it I don't want to spoil, but as funny and campy and goofy as it seems, if you actually sit with the movie and let it wash over you and just let it be what it is, it will stay with you and it will affect you and it will honestly touch your soul in an incredibly beautiful way. Well, that's a good recommendation. If uh, I mean, It's on movie now, by the way. Okay, so yeah, you don't have to just have the LA privilege to see it if anyone is interested. So thank you for that recommendation. Uh, I wasn't laughing at your sentiments right now when I when I, when I was just smiling. If you noticed that, but I was I was about to go, you know, do my thing where I plug the social media and stuff. But I and I and I pulled up your letterbox so I could just like say that instead of like making you plug it. And then like I went on your, I accidentally scrolled down in your letterbox and like the, the the second thing that pops up is your review of the beach film. And I just laughed when I saw that where you call it your Paddington too. And that's what that's what made me laugh. <laughs> yeah, I stand by that. <laughs> um, but yeah, Ben's on Letterbox at Ben Wiven. As usual, I'm Josh Chernovoy, J O S H J U R N O V O Y on both uh, Twitter and, or, or oh yeah, on both Twitter and Letterbox. Podcast email is the Rewind Movie Pod at gmail.com. Uh, podcast Twitter is at Rewind Movie Pod. Coming up next on the podcast, uh, depending on what order I put stuff out in, it, it could be our podcast on House of Gucci, or uh, that might come out even before this does, because uh, who knows what order I'm going to edit this stuff in. And this just feels like, you know, it, it, I could put this out at any point during our award season, because I think people should hopefully just be discovering it on demand, because that's how most people are going to be seeing it at this point. So uh, I want to thank Ben for joining me and be so, being so generous with his time and um, sharing with us all of his uh, all of his deepest thoughts about his uh, love of movies. That was very special to hear. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time.